Last weekend was Easter, and if uh, you were online with us, you know I had a big vote about my COVID mask, and I would have you know that the Tommy Bahama COVID mask took first place. So thank you for your voting. It was totally awesome. Uh, Easter was just a great time where we came together virtually over 43 countries serving 3,000 families. And so it was an awesome Sunday. Today we're going to continue on in our series that we've entitled Walking with God Through Uncertainty in Psalms 23. And in this series, I've stated this, that as you and I are going through uncertain times, what we need are those things that are certain, that don't change. And the only thing that doesn't change is God. And we've been focusing in on the qualities of God out of Psalms 23. And we've taken a look that God is good. He's our good shepherd. He is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. He is the God of uh, of, of all our resources that we need. He is the God who grants us rest. Today we're going to take a look at how God wants to restore us. He is a God who loves to restore. In Psalms 23, 1 through 3, it says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. God says, I am a God of rest, refreshment, and restoration. And he says, I want to do all three of those things in your life. This weekend, we're going to take a look at how God wants to restore us. Because he says, he restores my soul. Now, what does that mean? He restores my soul. Well, in order to answer that question, we have to understand what our soul is. The Bible says that you and I are made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Just like the temple and tabernacle was a three-part dwelling of God, the inner court, the outer court, and the holy of holies, so too God dwells in you in three parts in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body. Now, I'm pretty sure we all understand what our bodies are. But what is the difference between our spirits and our soul? Well, the Bible says that only the Word of God is able to discern between spirit and soul. So guess what? I'm not going to talk about the spirit, okay? But I do want to talk about the soul, what is your soul? Well, it is your mind, your will, and your emotions. If you have your outlines, I want you to write this down. My soul is part of me that thinks, chooses, and feels. If you didn't have a soul, guess what? You wouldn't have a lot of stuff. These three parts, the way you think, the way you feel, the choices that you make, your mind, your will, and your emotions, guess what? They make up a large part of you. They determine who you are. Now, it's really pretty obvious from Psalms 23 that God is one who likes to restore those things, which implies that those things 
need repair. Does your, can your mind get damaged through life? Absolutely it can. <laughs> what you put into it, guess what? Affects you. Uh, uh, 24-7, uh, cable news on COVID. Fear in, fear out, okay? How about your emotions? Can they be damaged? Well, sure they can. Your emotions can get raw through shelter in place. Can your will be damaged? Absolutely. I mean, have you ever known what you needed to do, what was the right thing to do, but you couldn't do it? Guess what? That's called an addiction. When we talk about our souls, God says, I, I am a God who restores. I'm not only a God who rests and gives refreshment. Folks, I am a God who restores. I want to restore things, and I want to restore you. I want to restore your mind, your will, and your emotions. I want to fix how you think, your will, and, and, how, uh, and your emotions. Now, what I want to do this weekend is I want to ask just a few questions. The first one being, what damages our souls? Because we got to understand what damages our souls first before we can fix them. The second question I want to take a look at is, how does Jesus restore them? How does he restore right thinking, right decisions, and, and right feelings? And then finally, how should we respond to what God wants to do in restoring our souls? So let's start. First of all, what damages my soul? Why don't I always think right, feel right, and choose the right things? Well, there are many reasons for this. But what I want to do is I want to focus in on three things. Three of the most common things that damages our soul. The first one being unaddressed grudges. When, when you get resentful or bitter, or when you start to take revenge, guess what? It damages your soul. The fact is, in life, you are going to get hurt. Why is that? Because this isn't heaven. <laughs> Pretty obvious with what we're going through right now, right? This isn't heaven. This is earth. And so we get hurt and we hurt others, sometimes intentionally, most of the time, I believe, unintentionally. And life isn't fair, and yet God never said that life would be fair. God's will doesn't always happen on God's earth. Sometimes people make wrong choices, and as a result, people suffer. Those wrong choices are called sin. And when people sin and fall short of God's standard of even interacting with one another, people get hurt. And I'm sure each and every one of us can share a story about that. We live in a broken world. And not only that, we're broken ourselves. Now, what I'm interested in is not so much the fact that we get hurt. And if you are hurt, I... I I'm sorry, honestly, I am. But what I'm interested in, in this, in this aspect, is how you and I respond to the hurts. Because how we respond is far more important than, than the hurt that we have. 
that how we respond can determine whether we are bitter or whether we get better. When God wants to restore you, he wants to take all the bitter things that have happened to you, even through COVID-19, and he wants to turn it into better. Now, when you have a hurt, and God wants to do this in your life, you got a choice. You can either let it go, or you can hold on to a grudge. Now, understand this. When someone hurts you, that puts them at below, that puts them morally below you. But when you hold on to that hurt and you seek revenge, that puts you on the same plane as them. However, if you let go of that grudge and you forgive them, that puts you in a superior position. So what are you going to do? Are you going to seek revenge? No way. Why? Because you want to live on a higher plane than everyone else. And you want to do it for you. Take a look at these verses in Job 5, 2. To worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. Job 18, 4. You are only hurting yourself with your anger. You see, you and I not only want to live on a higher plane, but folks, we want to even feel better. And when you and I hold on to a grudge, we are hurting ourselves. Resentment is absolutely worthless. It just makes, it's like you drinking poison, thinking that they are going to die as a result of it. And it just doesn't work that way. You can be sitting home, stewing and spewing, and they, no doubt, are sitting home as well right now, but they are in front or in their uh, home theater watching a movie, having some popcorn, and drinking a refreshing drink, and you are being eaten alive. And so resentment is worthless. Now understand something. One day, God is going to even the score. There will be a judgment day. And that is because God isn't just a loving, compassionate, merciful God. He is also a God of justice. And so there is going to be a judgment day. Now, in order to get around that judgment day, I would say this. You need to accept God's grace that he has shown to you through his son, Jesus Christ. Because he has paid for your sins, for your shortfalls in your life, so that you don't have to pay for them yourself. That's how you can get around it. But if you don't, understand something. God is going to judge the world. He doesn't like judgment. In fact, the Bible says that he likes mercy over judgment. But because God isn't just a compassionate God, a loving God, but also a God of justice, he can't let the Hitlers of life get off scot-free. And so God says this, leave the judgment up to me. 
I know how to settle the score. Let it go. Now, why in the world should you and I do that if we have received God's mercy and God's compassion, his love, his forgiveness, because we've accepted his grace through his son, Jesus Christ? Why should we do that? Well, it isn't because that other person deserves it, because they don't. We let it go because God has forgiven us. He's forgiven you. And you don't want to carry the pain around with you anymore. I absolutely love what Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. said. He is one of my heroes, and I have a picture of him on my credenza. He said this, that bitterness is blindness. When I hold on to a, a grudge, it blinds me from so many good things that are going on in my life. It blinds me to the good that God is doing around me. It blinds me to the needs of people who are around me. It blinds me to the truth that, that God is wanting to reveal to me. It blinds me to those that I love the most that are right in front of me. Don't hold on to grudges. They damage your soul. The second thing that damages our soul is unaddressed, is un, or not unaddressed, unconfessed guilt. Grudges and guilt are two of the most damaging things that warps our soul. What people have done to us and what we have done to people. Guilt. Unconfessed guilt will rob you of happiness quicker than you can snap your fingers. Now what we need to know is that guilt isn't a good thing. A lot of people have misconceptions about guilt. They think God wants them to walk around in guilt. Folks, he doesn't. God hates guilt. God loves to forgive guilt. God did not design you to, to carry guilt. You should carry guilt for as long as it takes you to confess, God, you're right and I'm wrong. But oftentimes, we don't. We think somehow there's something inherent really great about guilt, and there isn't. Now, oftentimes, in regards to guilt that we carry, it's tied in with other people. I have been married almost 46 years, and I consider myself a professional when it comes to marriage. I've learned a lot of things about marriage. One of the things that I've learned is that marriage doesn't create problems. It reveals problems. And if you've been married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And as a professional in regards to marriage, I also have learned this, that marriage just doesn't make you happy. It's been given by God to make us holy. I discovered early on in my marriage with my wife, Cheryl, that I am a broken person married 
to a practically perfect wife. And I have heard her many times. And you know what happens with those hurts personally? Guilt comes on. And you just don't feel good about yourself. David described this. In Psalms 38, 4 and 6, he said this. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. He's saying there that God didn't design him to carry the guilt. I'm bowed down and brought low. All day long I go about mourning. Now there is a couple of issues with guilt that I want to bring to your attention. And the first one is this. Guilt is legit because We don't always do the right thing. I don't know about you, but this really bothers me when I am selfish. When my wife asks me to do something and I get annoyed with that as if she is putting me out. That bothers me. I've noticed that there are times when I say unkind things to those that I love the most, to my wife, to my kids. Now, I never say anything bad to my grandkids. I'm telling you, they are the best, okay? But I find that, and that bothers me. Has that ever happened to you? You see, when you get two imperfect people together, sparks are going to fly. And what you're going to see and begin to perceive is unholiness. That is why we need forgiveness. And that is why unconfessed guilt is so important to address. Because without confession, the guilt builds up and the the complexity of those relationships becomes more difficult. The other issue is this. We like to run away from our guilt. We like to run from our conscience. Take a look at uh, Proverbs 20, verse 27. The Lord gave us a mind and a conscience. We can't hide from ourselves. You You might have a lot to hide from me or your spouse or from your friends or from your coworkers. You may have a lot to hide from them, but guess what? You can't hide it from God. And you can't hide it from yourself. Even if you try to get out from under, shelter in place by having a party with 20 of your best friends in a small little room and party hearty, guess what? You take it with you. So, what do you do with the guilt that you are carrying around that you can't run from? Well, the answer is the same as grudges, forgiveness. With grudges, you give forgiveness. With guilt, you ask and you receive forgiveness. Now, oftentimes, because we have broken souls, we don't understand how this works. Let me give you some examples. Sometimes we like to deny our guilt by pretending that it doesn't exist. We kind of tell ourselves, you know what, I'm just going to bury my guilt. 
The only problem with that, it has a way of resurrecting itself, okay, at the most inopportune times. Another way that we try to deal with our guilt because of our broken souls is we like to minimize it, okay? We like to tell ourselves, well, you know, it's no big deal. Well, if it's no big deal, why are you remembering it right now? Another way that we try is through rationalizing it. We try to convince ourselves in our heads that it's not true. But guess what? That doesn't work. Trying to convince your heart of something that isn't true, that your mind is telling you that it is true, doesn't work. Another way that we try is through compromise. Well, you know what? I just have too high of standards. I'm just going to lower my standards. And we hear this a lot in our culture. Well, it's just not a sin anymore. Well, how's that working for you, okay? Here's another way. We love to blame. Why? Because we can take the focus off of ourselves and we can put it on to others. In our minds, we have this kind of scale. When we are weighed down with guilt, what we like to do is blame so that we feel better about ourselves. And we see this in our conversations with others, don't we? Well, we say things like, well, you did this. And then they respond, well, you did that. Well, you did this over here. Well, you did that over there. We're trying to make ourselves better by, feeling, by, by blaming other people. And it doesn't work. What it does is it cripples you and it cripples the relationship. You've heard me say this before. To, to, to blame is to be lame. It is to cripple yourself and that relationship. When we do those things, honestly, we are injecting a virus into our soul that will attack our thinking, our decision-making, and our emotions. Now, we have talked about minimizing and rationalizing and compromising and blaming, but here is a dead, another deadly one. Punishing ourselves trying to atone for our own sins, trying to make up for our own mistakes. We err. We fall short of God's standard. We fall short of our own standards. We're surprised. I never knew that that was in me. And we begin telling ourselves, you know what? What I've done, I am going to pay for the rest of my life. And we subconsciously begin to do all kinds of things to punish ourselves, to sabotage our success, our health, our wealth, and our relationships. So what do we do with unconfessed guilt? Well, it's pretty simple. We confess it. The word confession in Greek is homologeo. Homo means the same. Legeo means to speak. The word homologeo means to speak the same. And in essence, we're saying, God, I'm going to speak the same thing that you say. I.e., God, you're right, and I'm wrong. The third thing that damages our thinking, our will, our feelings, 
is unprocessed grief. You're going to have grief in life because you're going to have losses. And right now with COVID-19 across the world, I don't care where you're watching from throughout the world, you are suffering losses. It may be a relational loss in the sense that you've lost a loved one. I'm sorry. Truly, my heart breaks. I can't even imagine what you're going through. But there are other losses as well. The loss of freedom. The loss of just personal relationships that you used to see on an everyday basis. The loss of physical contact and holding hands or shaking hands. The loss of vacations. There's one. The loss of weddings. Weddings have been postponed. Weddings that have been planned on for a year. The loss of, uh, of, of maybe coming together at a funeral with lots of friends and lots of family. They can't happen today. Folks, there are a lot of losses that are going on in your life and in my life right now. But here is how it works. There is no such thing as growth without change. And there's no such thing as change without loss. And there's no such thing as loss without pain. And there's no such thing as pain without grief. That is how it works. And so you and I must learn how to grieve good. Grief is not bad. Grudges are bad. Guilt is bad. Grief is good. It's what helps you and I through the transitions of life. What is bad about grief is when it is unprocessed. When you and I don't know how to go through the stages of grief. Of how to go through shock and sorrow and struggle and, and surrender and, and, and uh, sanctification and service. When you and I don't know how to walk through grief, what happens is that we express that grief in, in, in really very poor ways. A lot of times, and you're beginning to see this in our culture, through anger. It's popping up. People are starting to get mad. Through mental health issues. And even through suicide. And so it's important that we don't allow grief to damage our souls. Again, David talks about this in Psalms 31, verse 9. Lord, have mercy because I am in misery. He's talking about grieving here. My eyes are weak from so much crying, and my whole being is tired from grief. Have you discovered, though you are at home more now, you feel more fatigued than you did before COVID 19? Is it possible? that you're grieving and you haven't recognized that and you haven't begun to work through that? Now, if grudges don't get you, guilt will. And if guilt won't get you, grief will. 
And all of us can have these viruses in our soul that is attacking our thinking, our feeling, and our decision-making. The question now is this. How does Jesus, our good shepherd, who is good all the time, restore us? How does he help us with our grudges and our guilt and our thinking? How does he help us with our grief? Well, first, Jesus turns my hurts into holiness. And what I am saying there is this. He brings good out of the bad. Bad stuff that happens to you. Folks, it's bad. But God likes to bring the good out of the bad. In Romans 8, 28, a a, a famous verse, probably one one of the more popular verses in the Bible says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If you haven't memorized that, I would encourage you to memorize that. This is a verse for believers, and it says that we know, that we don't guess, that we don't hope, that we don't wish. Folks, we know. We know what? That in all things, not some things, not in a few things, not just in one or two things, no, in all things things. All things what? That God works. God is working in this COVID-19. There is a book that I would recommend by uh, Piper called Coronavirus and Christ, where he talks about six things that it's possible that God is doing in the world. It's a good, very short read. God is at work in our world and he's working for good. That verse doesn't say that all things are good. I think it's pretty obvious (laughs) that all things aren't good. But God is working for good. He's working to bring good out of bad. And God can even do that with your own sins from your broken soul. He turns my hurts into holiness. Now, there are some other things that God does. Let me just restate that, of God turning your hurt into holiness in some different ways to help expand this. He turns your wounds into wisdom. He uses correction to bring perfection. He uses offenses to remove your pretenses, your pride. He uses your bruises to bless you. Folks, that's the kind of God we have. We have a good shepherd, and he wants to turn your hurts into holiness. Now, that promise in Romans 8, 28 doesn't make sense unless you read verse 29, Romans 8, 29, that says this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of God. Of his son. He's saying here that God wants a family for all eternity that is like Jesus Christ. That is why God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. 
And what that practically means is this. We don't need to be asking the question, why is this happening? (laughs) Why is this happening to me? (laughs) Why is this happening now? Because we understand at least one of the answers. He is doing this to prepare you for what's next, for eternity future. The question we ought to be asking ourselves is this, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to develop in me? Because God is more interested in what you are becoming than really what you are doing. Now, what does this picture of character look like? Well, it looks like Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has these qualities. Out of Galatians 5, they're called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when you and I wake up in the morning with another day of shelter in place, with our freedoms being lost as they are right now, we ought to be waking up and saying, God, this morning, what are you wanting to teach me? What are you wanting to develop in my life? Now, how does God do this? How does God begin to develop those nine qualities in your life and in my life? Well, I'll tell you how. By putting you and I in the exact opposite situations. How does he teach you love? By putting you around unloving people. How does he teach you and uh, joy through grief. How do you learn peace through chaos called shelter and home? How do you learn gentleness through people who are annoying you and getting on your nerves? God puts us in the opposite situation to help us become what he has intended for us to be from eternity past. God's purpose is to restore you to his original design that was revealed in Genesis in the Garden of Eden where you were in perfect harmony with God and with other people. As they say, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. And when you and I learn this, when we learn this, God begins to restore our souls. He begins to rebuild our broken thoughts and emotions and thinking. So you sit there and you say, okay, got it. But what about when I do something wrong? What about my sin, Pastor George? How does God deal with my flops, failures, and fumbles? Well, you write this down in your notes. Jesus takes my sin on himself. He comes in to your life as he did 2,000 plus years ago, entering into human history, and he says, I wanna take your guilt. In fact, he says, please let me take your guilt. 
Now, God coming into human history and living a perfect life and dying on the cross and resurrecting from the grave, which we just celebrated last Sunday, is called the good news. It's called the gospel. In essence, Jesus entered in to our lives and he said this, I want you, I want to give you my goodness and I want to take from you your guilt. This entering of God into human history was prophesied 700 years before Christ died on the cross through a guy named Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 5 through 6. I want to read this because I think this is appropriate after Easter. He was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten and took our punishment so that we might have peace. And through his wounds, uh, and through his wounds, our wounds are healed. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and the sins of us all. What I just read to you is one of the most basic truths of the Bible. And if it weren't for this truth, that God came into human history to take away our guilt and give us his goodness. Folks, we could all go home, okay? Well, I'm sorry, we probably are all home right now. But we could all hang it up, let's say. Jesus paid for your sins, for your past ones, for your present ones, and for your future ones. And that is called the good news. Now, some people... Say this, but what do I need to do to acquire heaven, to have my guilt removed? And the answer really is very simple. Nothing. It's already been done for you. This is the difference between Christianity and world religions. Religion gives you a list of things that you have to do, your performance. Religion can be summarized in one word, do. Christianity, which by the way is not a religion, it is about a relationship with, Jesus, with God through Jesus Christ, can be summarized in one word, done. When Jesus was on the cross, he says, it's finished. He didn't say, I'm finished, because he wasn't. We just celebrated the resurrection. Folks, he is alive and he is doing quite well. He is in control of this COVID virus. He is alive. He says, I'm, it's finished, meaning it's enough. What he did was he completed it. So what we do is that we receive what he's done. By admitting, God, you know what? I fall short of your standard. I, I am a sinner. I do fall short. I see it, okay? To do that, that takes humility. And the only thing that'll keep you out of heaven is pride. I'm gonna do it my way. But if you and I are willing to just be humble, and admit, you know what, I got a problem. <laughs> if you've got COVID virus, I guarantee you this, you're gonna admit it really quick. 
And you're going to seek out a doctor in the very same way when you and I just admit, you know what, I got a problem. I got a problem with grudges. I got a problem with guilt. I got a problem with grief. And I'm seeing it expressed in unhealthy ways. If you and I will just admit that, then God says this, I will give you my goodness and I will take your guilt. And you don't have to beg for it. You don't have to bribe to get it. You don't have to bargain for it. All you have to do is belief. And this is called the good news. But Pastor George, you don't know what I've done. I mean, I've really done some really terrible things. You're right. I don't know what you've done, but I don't have to know because I know what Jesus has done on the cross. And what Jesus did on the cross is bigger. It is far bigger than what you have ever done. Okay, Pastor George, I get it. I get it, Pastor George, but, but a lot of times I don't feel forgiven. Well, let me tell you what that's all about. It's because you don't know how big God has forgiven you. He has forgiven you six ways that we see in Scripture. He has forgiven you unconditionally. It's a gift. There's nothing you can do. He has forgiven you completely, meaning every sin, 100% of them, not 99%. He forgives you continually, 24-7. He forgives you comprehensively, meaning everyone. You don't have to be a certain type of person. He forgives everybody. He forgives instantly. He doesn't have to wait and think about it. He forgives eternally forever and ever and ever. And that's how big God's forgiveness is. It doesn't matter what you've done. God is bigger than you. And when you understand that, it changes your heart. You cannot receive God's goodness as big as God is, and it not have changed your heart and your life. Now, Isaiah wrote about this as well, how God's forgiveness removes our guilt. Take a look at Isaiah 53, 5 through 12. He was beaten down and punished, but he didn't say a word. He was led out like a lamb to be slaughtered. He was condemned to death with, without fair judgment. Then he was put to death for the transgressions of everyone else. He died like a criminal, then was buried with the rich, even though he had done nothing wrong and had never lied. Yet it was God's plan to cause him to suffer and make his life a guilt offering for our sin, a sacrifice to bring forgiveness. But after his soul suffers many things, he will enjoy life and joy again. He's talking about the resurrection. That's why I chose this text. But my suffering servant will make many people right with God, and he will bear all their sins. He willingly gave his life and was treated like a criminal, but he took the place of everyone who has sinned, and he interceded for their forgiveness. When Jesus died on the cross, folks, he died for all 
people. I don't care what kind of background you're from. You may be Muslim. You may be Buddhist. You may be an agnostic. You may be Baptist. You may be, folks, it doesn't really matter. He died for everyone. And he died for all sins. And all means all, all the time. This is why I serve him. I don't serve him for money. I don't serve him for, pain, for fame. I don't serve him out of duty. I don't serve him out of guilt. I serve him out of gratitude. And so should you. So what about the third thing? We've talked about grudges. We've talked about guilt. What about grief? Well, will you write this down? When we experience loss and pain, Jesus feels my grief and he heals my heart. Why is Jesus able to feel your grief? Because he understands grief. He experienced it. He experienced all loneliness, all betrayal, all uh, rejection, He came to experience what you and I experience in life, our grief and to heal our hearts. Isaiah 53, three and four says this. He was despised and rejected by others. Have you ever been despised? Have you ever been rejected by others? Have you ever been told you're a non-essential and it made you go from here to me? He was a man of sorrows who endured much pain and suffering. He experienced deep grief, but, he, but, but we ignored him and looked the other way. He was hated and we did not care, yet it was our weaknesses that he was carrying and it was our sorrows that weighed him down. He experienced my grief, but he just didn't experience what I felt. Folks, he came to heal our hearts. Psalms 147, verse three. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Now, I don't know what's broken your heart. Maybe a relationship has dissolved. Uh, They're calling it Zoom something now where people are breaking up from one another. Maybe a relationship is dissolved in your life. Maybe the isolation you're experiencing now has broken your heart from your friends and your family. You can't be together like you were. Or maybe it's the fear that's creating this sense of of loss and grief in your life. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with your grief? What are you going to do with your grudges? What are you going to do with your guilt? Let me give you three things very quickly. First, trust the good shepherd to forgive your sins. Romans 3, 23 and 24. All of us have sinned, yet God declares us not guilty If, you might circle that word, 
we trust in Jesus Christ who in mercy freely takes away our sins. You trust him. You believe that he has forgiven you. Don't bargain for it. Don't bribe for it. Just believe it. And then act like you're forgiven. Secondly, release your offenders and focus on your future. Don't don't hold on to it. Don't let it get you under your skin. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Get rid of the resentment and get rid of the thoughts of retaliating. Take a look at Romans 12, verse 19. Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. For he has said he will repay those who deserve it. Don't retaliate. Rather, refocus on the future. And then number three, team up with Jesus to carry your load. Folks, he is the bigger partner and he can carry what you can't carry. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the only place in Scripture that Jesus described himself as gentle and humble. And he says this, take my yoke upon you. And you may think right now, you know what, to do that is just adding more to my load. But that's because you don't understand what a yoke is. A yoke doesn't add to your load. A a yoke takes away from your load. And because God is the bigger partner, folks, he carries it all. It's like the elephant and the mouse that was uh, riding on the elephant's back that crossed a bridge and the bridge just shook like this. And the mouse said, boy, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? (laughs) Folks, he's the one who carries the load, just like the elephant was the one that really shook the bridge. And God says he will carry your load. And not only will he carry your load, he will direct you in the right way so you don't follow in a ditch. And next week, We're gonna talk about how God wants to lead us and how we know when he is and when he isn't. You don't wanna miss that. Now we're getting ready to take our offerings. As I like to say, we're gonna pass the offering basket. And today, virtually, we have to do this a little differently. And so right now, I want you to text the message to our text your offerings to 73256 and type in one word, Life Point Church. And let's give our offerings to the Lord as a celebration of being resurrected people. And if you are in need of care, you can uh, text 94,000 at Life Point Prayer. If you'd like to get into a group virtually so that you can discuss these things, you can text 94,000 LifePoint Groups. 
If you'd like to talk with someone right now, you can call 972-335-3112 and there will be, there, there will be someone there to talk with you. And if you've committed your life to Christ, maybe as you thought about this and, you said, and you've said quietly in your own thoughts and minds, God, I wanna give you my guilt in exchange for your goodness. If you've just said that, I want you to know that you are heaven bound because God takes you serious. Would you just let us know by texting 94,000 and type in one word, new start, and we will be glad to correspond you, send you some literature that'll help you with your new walk with Christ. Let me pray. Lord, I really thank you that you are our good shepherd and that you are a God who wants to restore things to their original design. And that is what you are seeking to do in history by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to bring the weave of all these different threads that are separated and seem to be in chaos together in unity and in oneness back to the way that you designed it. And I thank you that that isn't just true of the world that we live in, but God, it is true for us. You are a God who likes to restore our souls. And we today look to you to do that. God, thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, don't miss on how we seek and learn about God's leading in our life. Have a good one.